إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئاتنا أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يدلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله قال الله تعالى يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray. And whomever God leads astray will never find guidance. I bear witness there is no entity worthy of worship except God, alone, without any partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and his messenger. You who believe, be mindful of God, as is God's due, and make sure you devote yourselves to God to your dying moment. With love being the theme of the month in popular culture, and with all of the challenges we face collectively, here are timely questions. How can we magnify our love to make a positive difference in the world? How can we give more when we feel we're already giving a lot. I'd like to share from my own journey to support you and yours. But first, let's get on the same page, okay? What is love? Consulting the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, we find a range of definitions. Strong affection based on personal or kinship ties. Attraction based on sexual desire. Affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interests. Warm attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another, fatherly concern for God or humankind, brotherly concern for others. Where's the sisterly, right? <laughs> Adoration of God. Using the most frequently mentioned words here, Let's define love as affection and concern for others. But we know that love isn't just a feeling, right? It's, it's action too. 
So let's say love as affection and concern expressed in ways appropriate to the relationship for the purpose of the higher good. Okay? This definition applies across the board, the variance being in what's appropriate to the relationship and how the higher good is defined. I believe that the greatest act of love, affection and concern, you can offer the one who created your soul, the self you were blown into, the other souls traveling this level of existence with us comes down to choosing to be who we really are, who we were created to be, and who set our mold, Allah. Today I stand here as an empowered woman because I have, become, I have come to understand who I am, and I choose to be that regardless no matter what. What this means on a very practical level is that I am very clear on the value I inherently, I am inherently calibrated by Allah to contribute to the whole. I am conscious of situations in which what naturally comes through is of best service and when it's not. With this clarity, and because I know that I'm standing here as a conduit for God, I no longer take personally whether a particular person benefits from me or not, because my job is simply to stand up and do my best to be the conduit of that particular value, no more and no less. Just like we see Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, being told that he was only to give glad tidings and to warn. No more, no less. In chapter 34 of the Quran, verse 28, Allah says, as is translated, and we have not sent you except comprehensively to mankind as a bringer of good tidings and a warner. But most of the people do not know. A way to see what I'm saying is to think of a prism. Our job is to each be as clear a facet on that prism of humanity as we can. And we do that by striving to purify ourselves. Now, whether you like, don't like, agree, disagree with the color that comes through when the light shines through my facet of the prism, none of that is the point. Now, this sounds like a great place to be most of the time, doesn't it? to be comfortable in my own skin, to give without great attachments, to be free to just simply love. But I wasn't always free to love. In fact, I started off wondering if I even was loved. I 
am a daughter of divorced parents, was a child who grew up without visible signs or proof of her father's love, was a child with an emotionally distant mother, and was a child with lived experience of sexual abuse. By age 18, what did I know about love? Not much. I had learned about being alone, disconnected, and a victim. This is a recipe very far from wholeness with my creator. Life progressed. And eventually, I felt burned out by all I had to do because I loved. I had gone on to become an active duty Marine Corps wife for 17 plus years, a woman who faced down her family and in-laws in particular when she embraced Islam at age 26, and the mother of four children with a range of exceptional needs. So by age 40, after the decade of the 30s that I often called the lost decade, what could I tell you about love? Love was duty. I could tell you that love bites, that love often meant loss and sacrifice, that love is obligation upon obligation, that love was commitment that sometimes felt like it would break me, that love was living in overwhelm and in fear. So I went from being a victim feeling unloved into being a victim because she loved. You see that? Today at age 45, it gets better, people. I am happy to tell you that I am a woman who recovered from bipolarism in 2006 and has been well for a decade. A woman who divorced for the sake of living more integrally in front of God with good relationship with her ex-spouse and her children who continue to thrive. And an entrepreneur who has successfully taken how she is made to love and successfully built a creative marketing consultancy as its vehicle. So something clearly happened, right? The victim is gone. What can I tell you about love now? Far from saying that it's something that makes you weak and vulnerable to harm and something that is hard and frankly can suck. <laughs> Rather, what I say now, without doubt, is that love can be felt and expressed fully and joyfully only from a place of wholeness. Our relationship with our creator offers this sense of wholeness. 
It is the doorway. Wholeness with Allah is what creates an inner emotional security no matter what is going on around us in creation. People, circumstances, events. Wholeness with God is what facilitates unwavering commitment because we're not looking for anything in return as a condition for or permission to continue loving. We're simply practicing our integrity. We don't need other people as a crutch in order to feel okay with ourselves when we're already whole. Wholeness with our creator makes us free to love and to magnify our loving, whether we call it loving for the sake of Allah or agape love, for example. This sounds fine and good, and now let's get practical. What are the steps to feeling whole so we can magnify our love and live in greater fulfillment and rock this thing called life? Two steps. One, step one, is to know, accept, be who we are. Step two is to navigate the fears that will arise as you grow in your loving. So where we start is with value. How are we calibrated to love? In other words, what is our distinct value? There is a beautiful quote from one of my dear friends and clients, Sister Estela Rodriguez Jibril, who is a licensed, social, a licensed clinical social worker and is the Live Your Bliss coach. She says, quote, value is not a journey we take alone. Value is about what our piece is to the whole. Our sense of wholeness is based on knowing, accepting, and being content with that value we inherently bring to the table. When it comes to the value you are calibrated to give, what we're talking about is the relative abundance or excellence of a certain quality or ability that you represent in any situation. Like so many of us, I didn't really see the benefit I brought to situations with clarity. So, you know, I couldn't market myself effectively. And that's just across the board. It's not just jobs and resumes. It's whatever you strive to apply yourself to. I knew I was smart, and I love to talk to people about their ideas and how they can achieve them. I noticed that people often came to me for feedback and for brainstorming. But I never thought of it as anything special. I was just being me. How many of us can relate to this? You know, how many of us um, once did something where we didn't even think twice about it? We didn't see it as effort, per se. And when that person gushed with thanks and, and, and all of that, we were wondering, but why? This happens because we're just being us. We're just being who we are. 
How else are we going to be? Because we don't have to push and strive and try to do, we then wonder if it's really even all that special what we are doing. So I didn't see the ability to dig into people and their ideas and seeing possibilities and how-tos as anything even remotely special. And I, didn't, I certainly didn't see it as something I could build something on top of or charge money for. I just like to help people get their minds straight so that they can get their game on. I just want to help people win and see that, yes, they can. When I came across a system that gave me the words to distinguish what I bring to the table naturally, it rocked my world because what I got finally is that the way I operate by default by, without even thinking about it is a meaningful and significant contribution in and of itself. You don't need to try to be somebody. You are somebody. And I think this is the case for all of us. I stopped feeling like a loser when I truly accepted that people wouldn't get anywhere in bringing their ideas to life without catalysts like me who are here to spark creative change. Like so many of us, I had been one of those people walking around in thinly veiled dissatisfaction and lack of gratitude saying, I don't know who I want to be when I grow up. In full on denial of who Allah had already set me up to be. When I engaged, engaged in another process and learned that I am here to specialize in initiating action, not in completing it, that was a game changer for me. Gone forever was the you're a flake chatter that I would beat myself up with. I understand why I function as I do, the benefits and pitfalls of it, and how to create business to leverage it. Now, you might go through different processes than I did and come to your own understandings. And maybe you've already done some of this. The point is, though, that you do. That you do allow yourself to enter a process of self-discovery and inquiry. When you allow yourself to see the abundance you are, not that you have, but that you actually are in situations, the value that flows through your being, the goodness you bring to the table, there is no room for being insecure and fearful anymore. Why? Because commitment to the truth eclipses fear. Always. The light always prevails the many forms of darkness. So our choice is simple. Either choose to be as clear a conduit as we can be or not. Either openly surrender and submit or hide in denial and in the who am I going to be when I grow up nest of it all. 
either live in the now or in other than reality. What we're talking about is Islam. The state of the heart in submission and surrender to what is and aligned action. This is what brings peace. This is what opens the way to contentment. And I think that too many of us are caught up in learning about and doing Islam to simply be Muslim. To be ones in surrender and submission in peace, thereby being sanctuaries of peace for everybody around us. Sisters in the community of Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. Sisters in the house of Abraham, Prophet Abraham, may peace be upon him. Sisters in humanity, may our creator guide us all. Our wholeness is the foundation of loving and magnifying our love. I say what I have said. May God forgive all of us. Alhamdulillah. All praise and thanks are due to God alone. So this brings us to the second step, navigating our fears. How we respond to fear can block acting in commitment to our loving. About a month ago, I hosted a public service conversation, a Facebook Live series, called Five Mistakes Muslim Women Make That Keep Them From Being Who They Really Are. This Facebook Live series addressed one fear in each of the five areas of life, spiritual, physical, mental, put the emotional there too, relationships, and wealth. Let's talk about fear for a moment. Most people define fear via that acronym, false expectations appearing real. How many have heard that one before? Yes, okay. The way I see it is this. Fear is the foot soldier of the ego, which itself has the noble assignment of protecting and promoting the physical and spiritual self. If you see the ego as a castle in your domain, then fear is that company of foot soldiers patrolling the boundaries, looking for physical and non-physical threats. After identifying a risk, fear's job is to sound the alarm, to alert you to choose safely and cautiously. That's it. No more, no less. It doesn't sound so bad, right? But we don't like how fear feels, and we usually have an irrational, knee-jerk reaction to fear. All it's saying is wake up, but instead we take it to mean no. You get it? With this understanding of fear simply as a mechanism, let's take on a few of the fears and practical steps to navigate them. So one fear prompts us to ask, am I good enough? 
We might hold back contributing our value because of doubt. Doubts in the spiritual area always ask in cynical, badgering tones, just who do you think you are? So let's take this on right now, okay? If you choose to accept, to do a quick experiment with me, everyone close your eyes for a moment and answer this question. What do my family, friends, and associates often come to me for? I'll pause just for a moment. If you came up with an answer, congratulations. Because now you have an answer for when the who do you think you are question comes. And when it comes, we could say something like this. Why, thanks for asking, fearful Franny. It's cool that you're helping me prepare for if someone does question me. I am one who contributes blank. Fill in that blank with whatever it is that you said. Make, kind of make it make sense. With relative ease. And I choose to do it despite the risk of someone questioning my right to serve. And I don't know about you guys, but I found that empowering. I'll give that to you. I hope that offers you something. Now, if we choose to respond to who do you think you are by holding back and disengaging our fullness, then how are we going to do what Allah requests at the end of Surah Ali Imran, which is the third chapter of the Quran, and this will be verse 200, where translated, O you who have believed, persevere and endure and remain stationed and fear Allah that you may be successful. So in this verse, the embedded imagery from the language itself is of the believers as a fence, as a wall of defense. So my question to you is, if you choose to fall back and not offer yourself, offer your value to the world because of your fears, how can you take your place? How can you take your place? Okay. Another fear prompts the question, am I attractive enough? Do I look good enough? This one is tough on us, isn't it? Yeah. It's tough on women in general. For Muslim women who wear the khimar or the headscarf, or for, other, for women of other faith traditions who embrace a head covering as well, it can feel like an even more pressing issue. Bottom line, we might hold back contributing our value because of our looks and dress, especially if we think that how we appear is significantly different than what the society or the community deems beautiful. Because we don't want to be treated less or treated as less. One way we might be devalued is because of skin color. As an African-American woman in this country, I have been treated as less before entering Islam 
I, I thought I was going to have this Malcolm X experience, but um, I entered the, com the community only to encounter some Muslims who were just as racist. It just plays out differently. MashaAllah, whatever Allah will is so great that you're Muslim, but don't marry into my family. Another way we might fear being devalued is because of body size. And let's not forget signs of aging, right? Like gray hair or wrinkles or, you know, we just don't feel like we have it anymore, right? We want to look attractive. We want to fit in and not lose respect, standing, support, or anything else. And that's human nature. What can become problematic is when the insecurity or fear is prioritized over stepping out and offering our significant contribution to the world. And I took this point head on in that public service conversation, that Facebook Live series I told you about, five mistakes Muslim women make that keep them from being who they really are. And I said on one of those days, and this is a quote, I've got 45 more pounds to lose, I have dental work to do, and I've got a cold sore on my face, but I'm still here. None of that takes away from my value. None of that takes away from what I have to give. If I didn't show up that day because of that gnarly cold sore and other things, because of my concerns about what people might think, about those things, the Muslim and non-Muslim women who were present on that Facebook Live with me would not have benefited from the things that I taught that day. So how can we navigate this area in general? I think that we just each need to experiment and find our way with what feels right holistically. And here's a story of one way I experimented with this almost 20 years ago. By the time I took my shahada, which is the testimony of faith that brings you into Islam, my ex-husband had joined the Marine Corps and was in boot camp. Doing my part, I had already begun volunteering with Navy Marine Corps Relief Society so I could be exposed to the military life and kind of learn how things work and, and also learn about resources for our family. Even though I had read verse 24 in chapter 24 of the Quran, Surah An-Nur, and believed I was instructed in it to wear the khimar or the headscarf, I was afraid to do it because of what my boss might say. I didn't want to stop volunteering, and I didn't want to be treated differently. I chose to accommodate by wearing a turban which in Washington, D.C., a city heavily populated by African-Americans, uh, this was marginally acceptable to employers and taken as an Afrocentric expression that they just kind of, they understood. And I made the additional plan to say something like, I'm wearing the turban because I'm just having a bad hair day, in case someone had direct questions about it. Now, this was my workaround back then. And by the way, the turban is still part of my go-to gear. You can look at my Facebook pictures and, and, and see. Between all of us, I believe there are so many ways we see women coming to what they feel is a good place on this issue. 
Something I would add, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out, is seeing women deciding to contribute their value on their own terms through business, through entrepreneurship. Because when you create the game, you write the rules. Another fear asks, am I smart enough? Do I know enough? We might hold back contributing our value when it entails doing something new or going into a new subset of knowledge. Because guess what? We have to face and let others see that we don't know much. And we need to rest our hearts about that and allow humility. We're here to learn. We don't need to hide that we don't know. So a way to navigate this, again, what's the priority? The priority is to put forth the value God gave us, okay? We can each say, I don't like feeling like I don't know. I don't like asking for help. I don't like coming up short in my competitive, comparison-loving mind. We can also decide, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to be vulnerable in my lack of knowledge. I'm still going to ask for help. I'm still going to stumble and fall and even fail on my way to mastery. I don't look worse for it. I am not less for it. I am grateful for this knowledge Allah is giving me instead of judging myself for how I look as he is taking me through the steps to mastery. And the last fear that we'll take a look at together is the one that prompts the question, am I loved and respected enough? We might hold back contributing our value because of what fear alerts us might happen in our relationships. We think that if we decide to go back to school or start a business or do something that's going to change the family schedule and status quo just for something we want to do, even if it's gonna benefit everybody, right? Will we lose love? Will we lose respect? Will someone be upset with us? Will someone be disappointed in us? We can help ourselves by cultivating supportive relationships so that we can better balance our responsibilities and our new opportunities. In the case of going back to school, for example, we would be able to delegate dinner, homework supervision, and the children being watched. And if we can't, because we don't have the appropriate support, the question is, why don't we? Why do we choose to live in isolation? Why do we choose not to build beneficial relationships? So in closing, the greatest act of love is being who we are. Being who we are and magnifying our love requires that we be whole. Being whole comes with knowing, accepting, and celebrating who we are to Allah and how he created us to love. Doing the work to explore your or our distinct value. Doing the work to understand how we can leverage that value we bring to the table with most ease is the key to being free to love, free to be. And how we respond to the messages we receive from fear can make a difference in whether or how we do step forward to contribute our value. And on that note, I want to end with part of a song by Shaina Nall called How Could Anyone? And this is a song that really, it's, it's a go-to for me when you know, I'm, you know, I need a boost and I need a reminder 
of all that I've shared with you today. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than whole? How could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. God commands justice, doing good, and generosity towards relatives, and God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed. Let's pray. <laughs>